I remember going up to my mom when I was probably eight or nine, and I was like, listen, (laughs) it works out well in this book. This is Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, parenthood, and marriage. I am Barry Liga. With me is my co-host and my wife, Morgan Baden. We went away again, didn't we? Accidentally. We didn't mean to. It just sort of happened. You know, it's summer. We just keep going on these vacations. Oh, yeah. I wish. No, we uh, um, we had every intention of recording last week. Yeah. And then uh, Leia got sick again. Yeah. And it was a weird sort of sick. You know, normally we record on a Saturday. And Saturday she was out of sorts and we couldn't record. So we thought, okay, we'll record on Sunday. Sunday night. Not a chance. And up until that Tuesday, I thought, no, we're just going to record gonna late. It's still going to happen. <laughs> and it just didn't happen. Yeah. She, Tuesday was worse. Tuesday was, yeah, every, every day was worse than the one before. And just to clarify, too, like, I suppose we could have recorded, but it would have been around midnight. And yeah, and we're I just not that dedicated. <laughs> I mean, maybe I should only speak for for myself, but I'm not that dedicated. I mean, I will say I thought about it every day, <laughs> every single day. I thought, wow, we didn't record last night. No, it, uh, she she once again uh, she was spiking a fever again and was very clingy and refused to sleep, refused to nap or go to bed at night. Refused would scream eat. and scream and scream. Stopped eating a little bit for a while there. Uh, it was very strange and and. You know, we, we're not quite 100% sure exactly what it was still. Probably she, the molars. She's a lot better now. We think that it was her molars coming in. And yet, amazingly, the doctor thinks it was another virus. The doctor thinks it was just another mystery virus that she picked up in daycare. Uh, we don't know. We do know that she's doing a lot better now. Yeah. No more fever. And she is going to sleep, but not as easily as she used to. She used to, you know... Before a week ago, you'd put her in the crib and she would babble happily and roll over and go to sleep before you were out the door. Now she uh, she cries. Well, She's- and it's not only that she cries; it's that as bedtime approaches and she we, we start going through the routine and she knows what's coming next, she starts throwing a little temper tantrum and yeah. crying. Yeah. So before we even approach the crib right she's already saying no 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 right and uh it really it, it, it's like she thinks the crib is going to eat her <laughs> like you and you hold her over it and as you're putting her in she's going no 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 yeah, no yeah. and like she's like i'll tell you where the hidden rebel base is um and then you put her in and she keeps doing it and about five minutes later she falls asleep and yeah. she's fine but it's a shame i i mean Bedtime used to be really pleasant yeah. and sweet. And she loved it. And it was just a, a lovely end to a day together. Yeah. And now, um, and I mean, it's only been a, a week, a week today. Right. Um, but now it's it's stressful. Yeah. And, and we feel guilty and bad. And, you know, yeah, it's rough. You know, you found something online that indicated that around this age is when a child's imagination begins to kick mm-hmm. in. And we all know everything online is correct. So yeah. I just want to put that on. Yeah. No. <laughs> and also this is around the time separation anxiety yeah. begins to kick in in earnest. So I sort of feel like we hit like a perfect storm of virus slash molars slash separation anxiety slash imagination. Plus, plus your friend sent a really lovely email. Yes. Um, pointing out that, um, 
a lot of times kids adapt to things later than you would think. We talked earlier on the show about how quickly and easily she adapted to the new house. Mm-hmm. It's possible. And to daycare. And to daycare. It's possible that this is sort of a delayed reaction. Mm-hmm. Where all of a sudden she's going, like, she's like wait, oh, wait, this we're is, not going back? Right. We're not going back to the apartment and, yeah. and, and I'm going to be in daycare forever now. Yeah. You know, and, and she's just realizing that now and is reacting to that. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot that it could be. It could be combinations of things we don't know. But but she's feeling a lot better, except for five to ten minutes around bedtime and yeah. nap time. She is her old self. Yeah, which is a pleasure. Yes. I have to say, um, Friday, I worked from home. Yes. You were here, and she was at daycare. That was weird. It was so weird. First of all, you and I are, I think, literally never home alone without her. Right. So that was weird. But I have to say, she's su- I mean, she's just my little buddy, and she's such a pleasure. <laughs> and halfway through the day, I was like, I can't believe she's not here. I really miss her. Like, yeah. I she follows you around. She does. Yeah. She follows you around the house. Yeah, it's like it's like, where's my shadow? <laughs> uh-huh. You know. So, um, but I was just reminded about how like she really is just she's just such a ray of sunshine, and so it's so nice. I think maybe that's also why it's so hard when she's out of sorts and sick because. Right. Our sweet, sweet sunshine is gone. Yeah. Um, but I will say this is, I think, the number one lesson that I've learned from parenting so far is that everything is temporary. Yeah. And I keep trying to remind myself of that yeah. because I sort of have a fatalistic attitude of, oh, this is how it's going to be from now on. Which is easy. I did that, too. Yeah. I broke down Wednesday night yeah. when I, I had laid on her bedroom floor for two hours and she was still screaming. She was and, still screaming, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I sent you up because I couldn't and, do it And I went in there, and 10 minutes later, she was asleep. Yeah, so... <laughs> you softened her up for me. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, so um, so I feel you. Like, that fatalistic attitude yeah. of, like, oh, my God, this is our kid now. And then you have to step back and be like, no, literally everything is temporary. Well, especially because I, I think, in particular, sleep is a strange issue for us because we have the example of um, two nieces and a nephew... Yes. ...who have shall we say, interesting sleep habits <laughs> and crazy sleep routines that have to be executed before they will fall asleep. And I know a lot of parents yeah. who do this, or parents and who lay in their bed, lay in the kid's bed and wait until the kid falls asleep. Yeah. And it, it sometimes takes two hours. Right. And I just don't, I don't have that luxury. I don't, I don't want that for my life. I don't want that for my life. You know? I don't want that for her. Yeah. Um, but I really my don't parents want it for us. never did that. No, I mean, me neither. Yeah. You know, I remember occasionally... I'm sure my parents would say more than occasionally, but I remember occasionally waking up from a nightmare and screaming for of them course, yeah. and being terrified and one of them snuggling up in mm-hmm. bed with me until I could fall asleep again. Yeah. That's that's not every night, though. We both know parents who every single uh-huh. night, yeah. and that's crazy. So I think knowing that that is possible, that mm-hmm. that's out there, when Leia acts up like this, I go, oh, my God, that's going to be us. Yeah, that's yeah. Good. What can we do to stop it? What can we do to stop it? So we're, we're doing everything we can. I actually wonder if um, – I'd love to hear from listeners on this. Is that something that isn't a problem if you, if your kid shares a room? I know you didn't uh, share a room, so maybe uh, There that... was one summer okay. um, where my brother and I shared a room. I always shared with Kelly. A, and yeah. so the thought of, like, needing someone in bed with me – wouldn't have crossed my mind because right. I could always just talk to Cal, you know? Yeah. So I just wonder if, uh, anecdotally, if anyone has any huh. tips about that. About yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah. All right. I want to do a little follow-up on something that we talked about last time. Okay. My favorite topic. Always. So we talked about Leia and curse words. Uh, and 
as if God himself put it on the internet for me. The very next day after we recorded, I saw an article on Quartz called Profanity is Pretty F***ing Good for Us, Actually. I think it's really cute that you're trying to pretend you didn't actively seek out an article. Like I this. swear I didn't. I don't believe I for a second. I didn't. I swear <laughs> I did not. I stumbled upon it. It was a moment of divine serendipity. And it's a great article about why parents swearing in front of their kids is actually a good thing. <laughs> and... Um, I will concede before you jump down my throat about this that he's talking about older kids. Yes, he's yes. not talking about toddlers. He's talking about kids who are, are 11, 12 years old. Uh, but it was just an interesting yeah. juxtaposition to our conversation. Yeah. So I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I can't remember if I mentioned this when we talked about this last time, but when I was a kid, there was a book I read in which the kid character was allowed to curse at home, uh, but wasn't allowed to do it in public. Right. And... I remember going up to my mom when I was probably eight or nine, and I was like, listen, <laughs> it works out well in this book. Why don't we just, why don't you let us curse here? And she's like, no. Like, I couldn't even get the sentence out. And she was right, like, no. right. Yeah, it's one of those things where, when you're a kid, you think, well, this makes perfect uh-huh. sense. It's like, I remember saying to my mom when I was a kid that I should be able to stay home from school for half of the Jewish holidays you're since half I was Jewish. half Jewish. <laughs> Listen, that's, that Which, is totally I mean, reasonable. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? That is perfectly but logical. But you only get half of the Christian holidays. Well, no. Her response was, would you like to go to Hebrew school half the time? Uh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, no. Because <laughs> I saw what my friends were going through. So, uh, so no. But, yeah, kid logic is, is interesting, flawless logic until it <laughs> encounters an adult. Who Adults are just inflexible and ridiculous. <laughs> so, let's talk writing. Okay. So, uh, there is a writer I've mentioned before on the show, uh, Mark Evanier, uh, who's a longtime animation writer, uh, TV writer, comic book writer, and he's been doing a series on his blog about rejection mm. for writers. And recently he wrote about writers who write on spec. And I wanted to talk about this a little bit because I've never really done this, but you have. Yeah. Do you want and to explain what this is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I want to explain. On spec is on speculation, which means that you're writing before you have any promise of payment. Now, most writers actually do this. I mean, and, and I have done this, but I've done it for myself. Mm-hmm. In other words, I've written a novel that, that, no, that I wanted to write that is my own property that nobody has offered money for. And then I go out and I try to sell it. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is where somebody comes to you and says, hey, I have an in at a movie studio and um, I know that I could sell them a movie about um, a skeleton that has carrots for fingers. I know that would be really big, but I need somebody to write it first. Mm-hmm. So you write it because I know you're a writer and I know you want to get something made. And then I'll go off and I'll sell it to the movie studio and we'll both make lots of money. And that can that's writing on spec for somebody else. Mm-hmm. That can be very tempting when you haven't sold any writing yet or sold very little writing. And a lot of people sort of fall into this trap of, you know, well, it's something, it's an in, at least I'm writing something. But it's not really a great idea. Most of the time, you don't own anything. Right, yeah. Uh, most of the time, you're writing something that you can't do anything else with. You know? Yeah. If this guy demands a, a movie about a skeleton with carrots for fingers, there's nothing else you can do with that. <laughs> you know, that's a very specific thing. Um, and I wanted to talk about this because you were in a sort of a situation sort like of, this yeah. once where somebody, you were approached by somebody who said, hey, you know, um, there's this project involving somebody and if you were to write it it could be really huge 
And why don't you go ahead and do some work on it and we'll see if we can get a publisher interested and so on and so yeah. forth. So it was a little bit different for me, for one, because it was nonfiction. Right. So I was basically taking the journals of um, this fledgling musician uh, who has a very interesting backstory and trying to form it into a narrative uh, memoir sort of thing. I had a verbal contract. So that's also different. Yeah. I had a verbal contract for payment. Um but it is very funny because they had to work really hard to convince me to do this. My gut kept telling me, no, this is not a project. I, uh, it, it was a fine project, but I just, it didn't, I didn't want my name attached to it necessarily. Right. I did the work and then, um, I, I don't, I mean, maybe predictably, maybe not. I don't know. They all sort of fell off the face of the earth after I did the work. Right. <laughs> now I did end up getting paid. Uh, but contract. you had to chase them for I it. I had to chase them for it over probably about a six month period. Yeah. Um, which isn't fun. No one likes to do that. No one likes to be the annoying harasser on email, um, especially when I knew this person through a mutual coworker. So, right. so that's always a you know a risk anyway. Um, and the other thing I would say that I particularly didn't like about this experience was that uh, because I was just the writer and not the creator or the producer of the larger project, because this memoir was sort of a lar- a piece of a larger project. Um, I was never updated on how things were going or like when the plans changed or when, what the next step was going to be in terms of the larger project. So, um, so I felt very in the dark and in some cases that would be fine. Like if my job was just to write something and send it in and get a paycheck. Okay. But this was more initially more of a collaborative experience. I had to meet with the musician several times, um, you know, we texted, you know what I mean? Like there was a, a, a broader relationship going on there. So it was definitely a weird thing. And then I did get paid, like I said, but the project died. Right. So, and I still, the crazy thing is I still don't know what happened. Well, and this is something I wanted to talk about that, that I wanted to bring up. And I'm glad you mentioned it early on where you said you did your job and then it just sort of evaporated. And that's because in these situations where somebody is coming to you and saying, Hey, I have this in or this idea or whatever. If you can just write some something, I can go sell it and then mm-hmm. we can make a lot of money. They have nothing invested. Yes. They don't put any the only time they put into it is telling you what to do. Right. You put the time into it. You took time away from your own uh-huh. writing. Yeah. You took time away from from coddling my ego, which <laughs> I mean is a full-time job right there. You took time away from those things to and do from this television. and from television. <laughs> And they took time away from nothing. Yeah, that's because a really good they point. didn't, and so it had no value to them. Mm-hmm. So it was easy for them to just go, "Oh well, it didn't work out." Yeah. Whereas you put effort into it. You put a little blood, sweat, and tears into yeah. it. And I will say, I was just reading today another um, slightly different example where it sounds like the person did put effort into it, which was uh, a writer was contacted by a friend of hers who was putting together a collection of essays mm-hmm. for a book, and wanted to hire this friend of hers. She wrote her essay, submitted it. And over a sort of two year period, I guess the publisher changed direction. And so the friend rejected her friend's essay, even though it was initially agreed upon. Wow. Yes. So not only did she write an essay specifically for this book, she didn't get paid for it and it got pulled. And 
that's a, t- I mean, that's a slightly different situation, but she wrote this essay specifically for this book. So it was on spec and, and that's a shame. And I mean, and now that you've mentioned that, it reminds me that this happened to me very early on. Now that I think about it, oh. uh, a while back, a friend who is in the publishing industry said, Hey, I'm going to do an anthology of short stories on topic X. Would you be interested? And I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought, Oh wait, I could do that. And I wrote a short story on topic X and I gave it to my friend and he, he, wrote back to me and said, this is exactly what I wanted. Mm. Like, like you've nailed it. Like, this is exactly what I want in this anthology. It's been like eight years. And the last time, the last time I talked to him about it was five, six <gasps> years ago. And wow. he said, yeah, no, it's still going to happen. And it hasn't happened. Oh, that's crazy. And you know, I, and did you like sign away any rights? No, oh, okay. no, there was no contract or yeah. anything because this woman had signed away yeah, lifetime yeah, rights for this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I could do something with the story, but Topic X is such that I think if you had an entire book of stories on Topic X, it would be interesting. I think one story on Topic X is not so interesting. Got it. Not to be too cryptic, but there's no yeah. point getting into details. So, you know, it happens to all of us, mm-hmm. I think. And I just, I want, especially, I, I know that a lot of uh, early stage writers listen to this show. You know, there's an old saying that money flows to the writer, which is a way of saying don't pay somebody else, yeah. you know, to publish your work or whatever. But also realize that your time is valuable and you want to be in a situation where you can be reasonably certain that your work will actually be produced. Yeah. You don't want to just grasp at straws just because you're desperate. Yeah. You know, if somebody is doing an anthology on, you know, super powered tuna fish from dimension Z, I mean, if you've always wanted to write a short story about superpowered tuna fish from Dimension Z, then I guess go for it and cross your fingers. But if it's never occurred to but you But if it's before... never occurred to you, where assume that the anthology is going to fall through. What else are you going to be able to do with that story yeah. about superpowered tuna fish from Dimension Z? Yeah. Probably not much. Hmm. So think that think about that. Think those things through before you find yourself caught up in some of these things just a note on the comment you made about money flows toward the writer yeah that is so important for people to realize yeah um i have a a friend who just got a two book deal and when she posted the book deal on facebook of course got tons of comments and one of them was uh, i don't know this person but one of them to her said something like oh that's so awesome how much did you have to pay for your book to be published and so she had to sort of very calmly explain that, no, no, yeah. no, no, the money comes to me. Right. Um, so that misperception, I think, is still out there quite a bit. Well, and it's out there because there are sleazy, scammy, crappy outfits that will take your money and crap out your yeah. book for you so that you can tell people you published yeah. the book. Uh, I remember my my friend once calling me early on in my career and saying, so have you ever heard of, and well, I'll go ahead and say it, have you ever heard of Publish America? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, why? Because I was talking to a guy I work with, and I was telling him how you know, you're know you a published author and everything, and he was like, well, so am I. Oh, my goodness. And his book was published through Publish America, which doesn't exist anymore. They changed their name. I was going to say, they changed their name like every two years. Yeah, right? they, yeah. because people become get wise to them. Um, you can look them up. We'll put a link in the show notes to, to their sordid history. But, yeah, anytime you're shelling out money to mm-hmm. have your work published, there is something very, very wrong. And anytime somebody is coming to you and saying, I can make things happen, but I need you to do a lot of work first. Yeah. That's probably not ideal. And I want to, I want to say there are, 
there are exceptions to this rule of course. In, in certain ways. Um, when I had to do a lot of sampling before my ghostwriting, yep. that was work that I was doing right. with the risk of not getting a book deal and not getting paid. Right. Um, but they were chapters. And that's different, too. That is an established yes. publisher yeah. or book packaging outfit asking you for this, and you're making an informed decision. Yeah. That's not... You know, I think it happens a lot in... I think it happens a lot in movies and TV yeah. where you get people who claim to be producers. Maybe they are producers, but they don't have a budget. They've just got a title. Yeah. And they're just figuring, oh, what the hell? I, if I can get 50 people to write 50 scripts for free, maybe one of them will be decent. Right. You know? Um, and we'll put a link in the show notes to this particular article, this blog post that Mark wrote, just because he gives some specific examples of when to run for the hills and when it might be worth your while. So nice. I think that's valuable. So, speaking of writing and speaking of regrets, <laughs> I recently got my author copies of The Secret Sea. Yeah. In stores out. August 23rd. Go order your copies now, people. It's a really great book, you guys. It's a terrific book. <laughs> and I got it, and I opened it up, and I saw a mistake. <laughs> You, you can't see the tears flowing, but they are here. <laughs> I, I could not believe it. <laughs> you know, so many people look at these manuscripts before they're finally published. You look at it four or five times at least. Your editor looks at it several times. A copy editor looks at it several times. A proofreader looks at it. All these people look at it. And yet still mistakes manage to, uh, to slip through. Of course. And I just felt terrible. And it wasn't a typo. It's not a typo or anything like that. It was a particular turn of phrase mm-hmm. that appears twice in the same scene. And it's, which a, is just, it's a unique enough... It's a unique enough turn of phrase yeah. that my eyes instantly fell on it on the page. Yeah. And my memory is such that I actually looked at it and went, no, I used that turn of phrase two pages earlier than this, didn't I? Did I move it at some point in the editing process and flip back two pages? And no, there it was again. Uh, And I was like, wow, I'm an idiot. And everybody feels bad when this happens. And it's funny, you know, the the publishers typically fall on their sword. They're like, we're so sorry this happened, blah, blah, blah. And my response is always, you didn't type it. I typed it. It's my fault. You know, yeah, you didn't catch it, but I did it in the first place. And I always feel bad about that. So my apologies to (laughs) readers of the first edition of The Secret Sea. You will see that happen. It will be fixed in future editions uh, and in the ebook. But that's one of those things. It's funny. I I tweeted about this, and Pete Houtman, who is an author I esteem greatly, immediately responded to my tweet with two words. Every time (laughs) and he and i went back and forth and sure enough he said every single damn book i find something and uh that's frustrating and crazy and i do wonder though for readers who aren't writers do they notice things like that i i don't i don't know i mean i i certainly i notice you know little mistakes and glitches in a book yeah me too and i will forgive a certain number of them Uh but i get to a point where i'm just like wow this book was really crapped out fast um I don't know. I mean, and I've said this, and now who knows? Will people go tearing through the book looking for it? Right. Will the, I, I? I think it's glaring. I think there should be a prize for the first person who tweets at you with. That's it. fine. That's fine. <laughs> the, 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 you know what? And I'm not even going to mention it online. I'm just mentioning it in this podcast. <laughs> podcast listeners, the first one of you to get in touch with me 
on Twitter, Facebook, whatever the or hell, on the web, the or, or on website. the podcast website, whatever. The first one who gets in touch with me, telling me what the mistake is, I'll I don't I'll I'll give you something cool. I don't know what because <laughs> we're making this up on the fly. I'll give you something cool. So yeah, that happened. The other thing that happened was um, I was doing the page proofs on Bang, yeah, which is the last thing that I do with the book before it goes away and I don't see it again until it's finished. And something occurred to me that would have been really cool in the book and it was way too late to do it. And it wasn't a big thing. It wasn't a character thing or a plot thing or anything. It was just, it was sort of an atmospheric thing. It would have been a small thing that just would have been really cool, I think. And I just sort of thumped my head against the desk several times and regretted I was ever born because (laughs) I'm like, damn it. Why did I think of this now? Um, I don't know why I'm even talking about this except to let people know this is what authors go through. Yeah. This is what you will go through. Mm-hmm. You will be reading your book that you love, that you poured your heart's blood into, and you will get to the end of the page proof and go, damn it. Yeah. I should have done X. That would have been so great. And there's just no way to make that happen yeah. at that point in time. Yeah. So I mean, part of the problem is that there are infinite possibilities with a book yeah. or any piece of art, really. Um and every t- every word you write down and every chapter you finish, you're closing the book on every other possibility. Right. You're closing off branches. Yeah. yeah. And But you have to do that. Well, and also, you know, at some point, you know, Steve Jobs famously said, real artists ship. <laughs> um, huh. They were working on the Mac and he kept telling them, you're not engineers, you're artists. You're art- this is a piece of art we're creating. And then the ship date kept slipping. Yeah. And he was yelling at them saying, we're late. And they said, well, you said we're artists. And he goes, yeah, real artists ship. That's funny. And it's true. Like, at Mm -hmm. some point, the book has to be done. Yeah. I mean, I could wait another five years, and Bang would probably be ten times better if I waited five more years. Something would occur to me in the next five. But at some point, it's got to be done. Yeah. You know? I don't know if ten times better. But I would find (laughs) ways to improve it as time goes on. At some point, you just have to shut the door and go, it's finished. Yeah. So it's finished. Uh, I do wish that I'd done this one little thing, which would have been really cool. So, yeah. yeah. So Morgan. Barry. You cheated. Let, let, let us get this out in the open. You cheated on me. I was really hoping you weren't going to find out about this. Actually. You you cheated on me flagrantly in public. I listen. Where I I could see it and hear it. I tried to limit myself to like hotel bars tucked (sighs) in the corner of town. It didn't work. You were on another podcast. I was on another podcast. Talk about that. Yeah. Um, uh, this was actually back in May that I f- recorded this. Oh, my God. All this time. No, I've been keeping it from you. Um, listeners, I haven't, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, there's a, a woman named Carrie Kirpin, and she runs a podcast called All the Social Ladies. We will put a link in the show notes, of course. In which she, true to its name, um, interviews women who work in social media for, for a brand. And I was happy to be to be emailed out of the blue, basically, and asked if I wanted to contribute, and I totally did. Um, it was funny because uh, when I started listening to the podcast as a result of being contacted about it, I found a bunch of friends who've been interviewed on it. Oh, that's cool. Like, friends I know women through work. Right. Through, so they don't work with me, but they work in other brands. And I, obviously, when you work in a certain industry, you start to know the other people who work in that same industry. So anyway... Uh, I was interviewed last May, and I thought it was a great conversation. It was, um, you I know, listened about, to it. It was great. Oh, thanks. It was, it, it was uh, by great, I mean, it was really fun to do. Yeah. Um, so it just went live a couple of weeks ago, and actually, there's an article about it in Forbes as well. 
really? on Forbes.com. Yeah, I did so, not know that. Uh, I'll grab the link. It should have been live yesterday, so I will see if it is. If it's not, just stay tuned. We will put links to both of those in the show notes. The podcast itself is only, it's like less than 20 minutes long, yeah. the interview. So it's not horribly long. Listeners, if you want to give it a listen and hear what Morgan does during the day. Uh, and you do talk about our show as well. I do, yeah. Not nearly enough. There should be. <laughs> there should have been much more talk of our podcast. Yeah, the host was really intrigued by the fact that we, you and I have a podcast. And so she did want to talk about that a little bit. So I do. So that's all. So it's like worlds colliding. I know. know. So we'll put that, we'll put that in the show notes and people can go take a listen. So we would do recommended reading and, or what are you reading now? But it's been the week from hell. (laughs) We haven't read anything because we have just collapsed in bed at the end of every night. I will say I, I just finished something. Yeah. It's a new release and it's, um, it's from an author whose last book I loved, and I didn't like this book that much. I hate when that I know. It's, it's a bummer. And like, we were I, talking about it. I was talking about it with a friend, too, because she really liked this author, too. Um, and I just told her I, I finished it. She's like, how was it? And I was like, eh. And I, I guess I hesitated just long enough that she was like, oh, no. Is it not as good? <laughs> like, isn't, it, it isn't it interesting how we sort of form these, these relationships with authors where <laughs> – if we like something that they wrote, we assume we're going to like everything of course, that yeah. they wrote. And that's not always the yeah. case. Um, yeah. And, and like, I just saw a comment, uh, somebody got an advanced copy of the secret C and just didn't care for it. Okay. That's fine. And said, you know, I wish he would stick to YA. He's so good at YA. Uh, and I just didn't like his middle grade. And it, you know, and my reaction to that is, well, you don't have to like everything. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's okay. And also like, don't box me in dude. Well, yeah. I mean, I think we tend to, we tend to pigeonhole of course, yeah. all sorts of, of artists. We've talked about that a lot on the show, actually. But yeah, it, it is funny. I mean, when, when there, when I read something from an author that I love and then I read something else mm-hmm. that's doesn't fit what I think they should be doing yeah, or yeah. wanted them to do, it can be, it, it's a weird personal sort of disappointment, it's jarring. which you don't know the, yeah. well, sometimes we know the person, but yeah, you usually yeah. don't know the person, yeah. you know, like I have no reason to be disappointed that John Grisham wrote a book about pizza, you know, <laughs> like, and football, like. Whatever, that's his business, not mine. Mm-hmm. But I was annoyed when that book came out. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't want to read that. I want another legal thriller. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Oh, well. That is it for this week, listeners. Thank you so much. Follow us on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. Go to writinginreallife.com. Subscribe to the show. Read our show notes. Give us comments and feedback. And uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. And we will be back next week, baby, per- baby permitting. <laughs> Thank you. Bye.